Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Well, Christmas is a little bit different this year, you know, um, for my family, especially in, I think for me, like I'm not wondering what Santa left under the tree as much. Um, my wife and I are really terrible about keeping secrets from each other. So I kind of already know, I think, what all is waiting for me there. Um, we have a daughter, to a, a two-year-old, and so it seems like all the focus has shifted from what I want for Christmas, kind of trying to figure out, like, what are our family traditions? What are we going to do to shape kind of how she thinks about Christmas and the fun of it uh, and the holidays? So I think my favorite parts of Christmas now have really little to do with the giving and receiving of presents, but really marveling at and kind of experience the presence of being together, right? Of being with each other and thinking about that idea of what we find in the Christmas story. So if you want, let's open up to Matthew chapter one because that's what the Christmas story is about. It's marveling at the presence of Emmanuel, God with us. And I think this year um, has been full of a lot of waiting, right? It's We've got stay-at-home orders that came into effect where we wouldn't get to do our Thanksgiving the way we might have wanted to or we were worried about it. There's fear and anxiety um, throughout this year about our health and safety, about things we just talked a little bit about um, that have happened in our, in our culture and in our country, about pain and injustice that have happened to people. It's, it's like that Christmas song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It seems like all our hopes and fears have kind of converged, have met here in 2020, right? And as the year comes to close, I feel like the waiting is kind of nearly over, maybe. And as we celebrate and read the story today um, about Jesus' birth, maybe um, it's time to do a little celebrating, even though uh, it still feels like we're waiting around for things. So let's, let's read Matthew chapter 1, um, verses uh, 18 Um, And following, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until he gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. So I always thought that, that childbirth took nine months. I don't know if you've had this uh, bubble burst for you, but I realized when my wife was pregnant with our first daughter that um, doctors track pregnancy differently. They track it from the last period or the last menstrual cycle. And so it's more like actually 10 months of waiting once you discover that you're pregnant. And I always was like, how is this? We always talk about babies being in the womb nine months, and it's actually 10 months of time from like the date that they marked the beginning of my wife's pregnancy to the due date. And my daughter made us wait an extra week because she was late. Um, so 
I can't imagine what it was like. You know, the weight is over now. Mary is done. She doesn't have to carry this baby anymore. I mean, that's, that's awesome, right? And it's an event that reverberates through the cosmos, really. It's, it's causing stars to, to do things. The, the idea that God came near and is with us shakes the fabric of everything. We sing about this in Christmas songs, about stars shining brightly, right? And about a holy night with a star. And uh, we sing about the silent stars going by above Bethlehem and wise men following a star. And so that's the passage I want to focus on today is this idea of these wise men coming. And it's, it's where we pick up the story in chapter 2. But you see, just as we read about last week, there were people waiting for this Christ child to be born. In the Luke passage, we read about Anna and Simeon who went to the temple to see the Christ child devoted to God. But in the east, there were these astrologers, guys paying attention to what was going on in the heavens, in the sky. And they were waiting and took note of an event in the heavens. So let's read uh, chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it arose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country on another route. You know, in in this story, we we focus a lot of times on the Magi, but I'm struck by the reaction of of Herod at the birth announcement of Jesus. Um, I'm reminded... In our discussion last week, uh, how the, I, the words of Simeon kind of piercing our soul and, and causing everyone to make a decision. It, it, when Jesus comes, it throws kind of the powers that be into crisis. It, it causes our world to be really scared, I think. They're worried that Jesus will take their place, will take their power away. And I believe often the fear and rejection even today from people who don't think Christianity is relevant or maybe it's outdated or it just doesn't make common sense, they're actually not that different from Herod in this story. The kingdom they're afraid of losing is their heart. They don't want to surrender the throne of their heart to a small infant from nowhere. But the magi, the wise men, as we often call them, stand in contrast to Herod in the story. So Herod tries to kill the baby the Magi bring gifts. So if you read the story a little bit later, Jesus has to flee to Egypt to, to not get killed, or, or Mary and Joseph take the baby to Egypt. 
In fact, I, I think one of the, the problems with many Christmas nativity scenes is that we lose the significance of the Magi's journey, of their pilgrimage. Um, they didn't show up at the manger right after the shepherds, right? They're not there with the shepherds. I, I like this nativity. It's actually a really beautiful nativity. But the wise men are not right there with the, um, with the, the animals and stuff. Um, we're actually told that based on Herod's timeline given to them by the wise men about when the star appeared, it seems that Herod takes that to mean that the baby could have been as old as two years old. And so he kills babies two years old and younger. And so I think it's, it's a good guess that the journey undertaken by these wise men took them close to two years to get there. They saw the star when Jesus was born. That's when it appeared. And it took them two years to find Jesus. They noticed something so significant on the night that Jesus was born that in the months following they prepared supplies and gifts, gifts worth, uh, worthy of a king. And then they embarked on this long journey westward. It's, it's not sure where they came from as far as maybe Africa or Babylon or Persia or even further east, but um, they came to Jerusalem. And unlike how I envisioned it, that there was this star just kind of hovering over Jesus, um, it seems that it was more like a north star, right? You've, you've kind of guided yourself by the north star probably. I'm, I've been raised in cities where there's too much light pollution, so I don't really understand how people guide themselves by, by things like the north star. But it, it's not a precise thing. You know the direction you want to go. You know where you should be going. It orients you to what is north and what is true. But it's not just hovering there. The star was significant enough that they knew they needed to journey westward, but it wasn't specific enough for them to find Jesus on their own. And I think this is important because the Magi then seek out help. The historians, if you will, the theologians in Jerusalem, these experts on the history and the story of Israel were able to point them to Bethlehem to say, this is where you can find Jesus. And and I think about people who are, um, navigators who use stars and, and things like the sun, map makers like Lewis and Clark who stepped out into the unknown, right? It's, it's amazing that they were able to do that. And I struggle to relate, I think, with the Magi's confidence and commitment to the star's guidance because I've just never put much confidence in the stars, right? But I think it's really important to note here that these guys weren't Christians, they weren't Jews, they didn't understand the story of Israel like they like these other guys did they likely believed in other gods and were from cultures widely different than Jesus's so I think it's important to understand that even non-believers people outside our faith if you will they're waiting too they have great expectations for what's going to happen the magi were waiting for something important a king to shake up the world they had some ideas about what this would be like, but they needed help getting to Jesus. They needed those who had studied the scriptures, who knew the story of humanity told through the Jewish Bible and could point the way. So I think about your neighbor or your coworker or your family member or that friend of yours who's maybe super secular or non-religious or into some other religion or maybe a professed atheist and against believing in God, but they're waiting for something. There's something about the good life, about their expectations for the life to come, about what they care about, their ultimate reality, if you will. And they're hoping that things are going to change for the better. 
There are people in your life waiting, and perhaps God is going to speak to them in ways you don't understand. Using stars, even though you're not an astrologer, right? He's going to speak in their language and their experience to point them to Jesus. And when they come bringing their questions, I think it's important to kind of be ready to point them to Jesus, to help them get all the way to Bethlehem. So as these magi prepare for this journey, they're not exactly sure where to go, but they end up in Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. Now they come before Jesus and open gifts. And it's interesting, the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, There's a lot of significance to those, but I really think they're really appropriate in that time for a king. So let's not focus and get distracted. There could be a lot of different reasons for each of the gifts, but they're all meant and worthy of a king. But rather than dropping them off in Jerusalem, where King Herod lived and where the palace was and where he likely had had a son born, um, they don't leave the kingly gifts there. They bring the kingly gifts to a pretty much nobody of of parents who are no one in a small town that's overlooked on maps. You know, I think about um, some of my favorite TV shows, uh, Madam Secretary, if you've watched it on on TV right now. It's kind of a a great one about U.S. politics and and global kind of um, takes into account a lot of the things that are going on in our world and and helps us think through these issues. And uh, she's the Secretary of State, so she, um, the main character is, and her main responsibility is to kind of deal with the heads of state of other countries and their representatives. And so there's all these trips involved and people coming, and then there's a lot of gift giving involved. That when a head of state comes in contact with another head of state, there's usually a, an exchange of gifts. And I think it's really fun in the show when there's this significant moment when the secretary takes one of these really nice gifts and she wants her staffers to realize they are important and they matter. And so she gives them one of the handcrafted gifts of a foreign dignitary or something. A lot of the really important ones, of course, get into museums or displayed at the White House. But I think about these wise men as kind of those foreign dignitaries, right? They're coming with these gifts fit for a president, fit for a king. And rather than leaving them in Jerusalem where it would make sense, these wise men bring them to kind of the nobody, the lowly child, infant, born in in uh, a, a nowheresville, really. Um, and if we read the story, Matthew tells us that they have to flee to Egypt. And I wonder if, you know, Joseph has been working in Bethlehem now for two years, and he now goes to a country not his own. He's, you know, Jesus is now a refugee uh, fleeing for his life, and his family is there. And I wonder if that gold, frankincense, and myrrh came in handy as kind of a, a stopgap, as a, as a PPP, as a, a paycheck pr- protection for Jesus as he's living in a foreign place. And so I think about um, these gifts, and I see the significance of them, and I wonder to myself, what are the gifts that I'm going to bring to the king this Christmas? Five days away. What, do I, what am I going to prepare? What am I wrapping up and offering to Jesus? What could I offer? this king who has all these things. And as I said, my wife and I aren't really into gifts. Um, We fail to keep the secrets, right? And especially we fail to keep the surprise. So 
sometimes we don't even get the gifts wrapped up. We're just kind of like, well, I was going to surprise you with this gift, but it came in the Amazon package, so here you go. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Amazon wrapping. And to be honest, sometimes it's, there's not a whole lot of thought that goes into it, right? You're like in the store, and you're like, huh, that bowl, that wooden bowl looks good. I think we need a wooden bowl like that. I'm just going to get that for her. Um, and, and other times, I don't even I don't even remember to buy a gift. Oh, man, it's it's the week before Christmas. You know, I better get that. Or, oh, man, it's it's our anniversary tomorrow. Oh, you know, I better get something. Or, or oh, no, it's her birthday today. I should probably get her a card. Um, and I can't imagine, I mean, as I've experienced now the long wait for um, one child, and then now as we're in the midst of our pregnancy, our second child, it feels like nine and ten months are like, a long time to wait. A lot happens in that time. I mean, I think about the fact that we celebrated our two-year-old's birthday, and it was just, you know, a few weeks, it seems like, ago that we were celebrating her first birthday, but it's been a lot longer than that. And, um, and so I can't imagine a two-year journey. The, the amount that has happened in my life in the last two years, uh, I've moved states. I've had another child. I've bought a house. I've changed jobs. I, I don't have the patience or the foresight to prepare gifts for two years from now. Um, and they were willing to suspend their jobs, their normal life activities, and go on this journey. The gifts and their um, commitment to saying this king is, is worthy of these gifts and their pilgrimage I think it's significant because we're so quick. We're so about Amazon Prime, two-day shipping, one-day shipping if you were living in Los Angeles. I, I had Prime one-day shipping. Now I have to wait two, three, maybe a week for stuff. It's, it's crazy how um, kind of short-sighted I think we are and so into instant gratification. So what gift can I bring that's worthy of the preparation of my life, worthy of a journey that might take me two years? It's not just something that I put together now in the next five days before Christmas, right? But it's something that I prepare in advance. What possibly could I bring to the King of Kings? You know, we, I was mentioning that the, the favorite things that Janelle and I think about at Christmas now is not the presents, uh, E-N-T-S, but the gifts of our presents, um, E-N-C are being with each other. And I wonder if the whole thing in this whole story is actually not about the presence, the gifts that the Magi bring, but the presence of God with us. We talked about last week that Jesus um, is God coming near, is moving into the neighborhood. And what would change in your life if Jesus moved next door or down the street? Would you shift some of the ways that you live? And unlike the people of of Bethlehem, um, as told in, in Luke's gospel, um, there's no room, right, for, for Jesus. What if our gift of presence was to make room for the God who has come near? Rather than being like Bethlehem and saying, no, no, you got to go to the stable, right? What it, would it look like for us to give Jesus the priority, the, the best room in the house? Not relegating Jesus to just one hour or just some of our hearts, but welcoming Jesus into all of our lives, the good and the bad, and remembering that this is difficult, and it can throw us into crisis, a crisis of decision of whether we're serving ourselves or whether we're going to 
be willing to give up our allegiance to King Jesus? Um, what if another gift of presence is actually the way in which we not only give room and hospitality to Jesus who's come near, but also our friends and others in our life? That, um, and this is what Jesus actually tells us in a parable. He uses this powerful imagery of how when the people at the end of time are standing there and he comes to them and says, you showed kindness to a stranger. You went and visited someone in prison. And when you did that, you visited me. When you showed that kindness, you were showing that kindness to me. When you clothed the naked person, you were clothing me. And he says, when you do these to the least of these, my brothers, you've done them to me. Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And what if one of the gifts of our presence could be the forgiveness that takes a lot of preparation as people hurt us and, um, and do things that require us to forgive them. It, this is a journey. This is not something that can happen overnight. It takes time to forgive people. Could the forgiveness that we offer other people and the hospitality we offer people be our gifts of presence that we bring before the king? For us to declare that Jesus is the king means we have to change our allegiance. We're no longer serving the king like King Herod. We're no longer serving the king of greed and of power and of self. We're letting Jesus be the king of our hearts. And that means that we have to believe that what will be true in the future when heaven and earth meet together and the world is transformed and God's rule and reign rids the world of evil that's not a long way off. That's not something that's going to happen when we die and go to heaven, but that's actually already invading the presence, the present day right now. And it's calling us to action. And I think the action that we need to have is an action of hospitality and forgiveness. And so throughout the Old Testament, the prophets spoke with great expectation about how in the end God was going to set everything right and people would come from all the four corners of the world, from all the different nations, even the ones that didn't, uh, that weren't Jewish, um, and bring gifts. And so there's this great picture of all of these kings and kingdoms bringing gifts to God. And so right here in the birth story of Jesus, the end is actually beginning. That dignitaries come from different nations to bring these gifts. And so we're invited, I think, to do the same, to bring our gifts before the king. And the reality is that the Magi are not the first to give a gift in the Christmas story. Um, it's actually a response to a gift, if you will, a grace given by God through a star. God's the one who takes the initiative first. He's the one who gives the greatest gift of presence, E-N-C-E, of being Emmanuel, the God uh, born as a child to be with us. And so God gives his gift of presence first. And, and Jesus then, as we celebrate it in communion, is this great host. And at his table, no one is excluded. There's room for all and plenty to eat. And the Apostle Paul uses some great um, reminders when he says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have to remember the gift of forgiveness is not something we offer first to others but it's actually been offered to us first. That we've received forgiveness, and so in turn, we're then able to offer our gift of forgiveness to others. And the journey was painful and arduous for Jesus. It ended up 
with him dying on a cross. But God didn't do this haphazardly. It was planned from the beginning. It was prepared in the fullness of time. It wasn't something that just happened overnight. It was a long journey. And so I wonder as we present, or as, I wonder as we are present with people who are on their own journeys, on their own pilgrimages, seeking the good life, seeking answers to their ultimate quests, what might it look like for us to allow the Emmanuel, the Christ child, to shine through us? For people to encounter in us the mystery and grace of God with us. For us to be able to point them to Bethlehem. To meet Jesus where the hopes and fears of all the years are met and given hospitality and forgiveness. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the chance to sing your praises today, to remember that silent night when you came into the world. It was a night that was not that significant to a lot of the world. And yet, if we were paying attention like the Magi, we would see a star and we would come and journey. And so on our journeys, wherever we're at, God, may you meet us with hospitality and forgiveness. And may we be people who offer those gifts of presence to those around us this Christmas season. We pray your blessing on us as we celebrate this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So as a benediction, may you bring the gift of your presence before the King and allow your heart to surrender the allegiances to fear and power and self to fade away, that you might remember that in Christ there is always room at the table for you and that you can go on the journey of forgiveness because God has already forgiven you. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.